Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father, we give you thanks for the day, and I thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given to us, and we thank you for what you're doing here at White Park, and Father, I thank you for this group of people that love you and that come each week and they worship you, and I know that some people can't be here today for one reason or another, and I thank you for the people that are, that are watching online or maybe even on a TV, Father. We just thank you for so many of the blessings that you give to us. We thank you for our time together this morning, and we pray that as we gather together in this place that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. I recognize, Lord, that I have a part in that, so if you would, Father, forgive me my sin, cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life, and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that bring honor and glory to your name way that brings sinners to repentance and believers into, into a time of renewal in their relationship with you. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, the, the day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray for the person, the believer that's here today that might be struggling or going through a hard time or maybe even their cup is just half full. Father, if you would, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them the grace that they need today to, to hear a word from you and to respond with obedience. Lord Jesus, we love you and uh, we couldn't be here with, if it wasn't for you. So we, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. It's in your name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. A few days ago, uh, one of our own, Donna Van Cleve, asked me a question. She goes, Jeff, why do you, why do you like trucks? Like, why, do you, why do you like to buy trucks? And I'm like, what? I, I don't know how to answer that. You know, I mean, I, I grew up thinking that every boy should drive a fast car and or a big truck. I mean, I just, it's like, well, I, I mean, yeah. Why did, why did, why do men like to eat bacon? Because it tastes good. You know what I mean? It's like, it just seems like that's what you're supposed to do, you know? And I, that's just how I grew up. I, uh, I found that uh, trucks aren't good on fuel. Uh, they aren't easy to park at Mosaic Hospital. But in the wise words of, of Joe Diffie, you can set my truck on fire, you can roll it down a hill, and I still wouldn't trade it for a Coupe de Ville. That's right. I just, I, uh, but people do like trucks, and I found that if you find a, a nice old truck, and people, people will buy it. So that's what I like to do. I like to find a nice truck and, and make it nicer. I, don't get any illusions or confusion here. I, I'm not a, a restorer of vehicles. Like I don't do full restorations. I don't, that's not my MO. It's not, I don't have the ability, one, nor do I have the time. I have a friend of mine. He's been restoring a, a Plymouth Roadrunner for like over a year, you know? I'm like, who has time? Nobody, nobody ain't got time for that. I mean, like he's, like who, who does that? You know, I'll tell you who does. Retired engineers. You know, like all those, you go to the car shows, that's what they are. They're all retired engineers, I, I promise you. And I think about that, you know, like that takes a lot of time and commitment to restore something to what it was as an original. 
I have a friend of mine, he, he buys these houses. And uh, if you were to look at these houses, when he buys them, you think, man, I, the only thing I would do with that is I would get a lighter, you know, and burn it down. But he sees something in these houses that nobody else sees. And he sees an opportunity, he sees an investment, and he takes his time and he demos the, I mean, he just completely remodels and restores these homes so that somebody can live in them. And it's just like, how do you, I mean, I don't, I just don't see it, you know, but he does. He has that eye for it. And he has the time, he's willing to put in. Imagine with me for a moment, you have a bird's eye view of the world at the end of Genesis 7 and at the beginning of Genesis 8. And you're looking at the world and all you see is water. You know, as far as the eye can see, you ever been in the ocean on a boat? It's like, I mean, there's just, you don't see anything. That's just, I mean, you just look around at this situation and this scenario. I mean, you might see the, I mean, it just, it almost seems like, man, you just, there's, it's hopeless, right? Like there's no point of return. I mean, how do you fix that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Everything is completely underwater. Every person, every animal, every building, every crop, everything is underwater except for those that are on that boat. Imagine the, the sight, the destruction. I'm not sure about you, but if I saw that, it would be easy for me to become a pessimist in that moment. To want to just say, you know what, that's just, it's too much. I can't do that. I can't. Where's the lighter? There are times in our life, friends, where we are beat down, bruised, battered, defeated, where we think, I, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm a shell of my former self. I can't do it any longer. I want to quit. We see all we, all we see around us is water. No hope, no future, no end in sight. There's pain, there's hardships, there's difficulties. There's no eye for the future. There's nothing. We don't see hope. We don't have, there's times in our life, friends, when life is so hard, so difficult, the idea of getting out of bed becomes impossible. Putting on shoes, cooking lunch, cooking dinner, making a meal that actually is good for us is too difficult, too hard. Staying in bed, keeping the lights shut down, not talking to people, not sharing with others our troubles and our difficulties. It becomes overwhelming. Have you been there? Today I want you to listen to verse 1 of chapter 8. God remember Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. And just when things were at its worst, God remembered Noah. 
But God remembered Noah. For a minute, take Noah's name out of this verse and insert yours. But God remembered Jeff. But God remembered Kent. But God remembered Mark. God remembered Matt. God remembered Violet. God has commanded Noah to build this ark. There wasn't for no reason, friends. There was a purpose, a plan. A, it wasn't for them to be forgotten. God has not forgotten about you, friends. He hasn't forsaken you. There are times in our life where we have answered the call. God has called us to do something, and we said yes. Okay, I'll go. I'll serve. I'll do. And yet, we look around us, and all we see is water, destruction, pain, hardships. We've done everything God has called us to do, and yet here we are stuck in the dark on a boat that we don't want to be on anymore, doing a task that's mundane and difficult. I don't want to be, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm tired. I just want to give up. But God remembers you. He remembers you, friends. He remembers the call that he placed on your life. He remembers the task that he set before you. He remembers the difficulty of each and every day that is before you. God has not forgotten. God is not oblivious. He has not left you. He's not forsaken you. He remembers you. He's with you each and every step of the way. It's outside the character of God to forget about you, friends. It's outside the character of God to leave you and forsake you. God is faithful, and a sign of God's faithfulness, a sign of God's character, a sign that God doesn't forget can be seen in this verse, can be seen in the story of Noah. God sent a wind on the, over the earth, and the waters receded. God doesn't just remember God has acted. Friends, there is going to be a time when the water is all around you. But there will also be a time where God sends the wind and the waters recede. And there's hope and there's light at the end of the tunnel. God remembers you. Listen to verse 2. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens have been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundredth and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ariot. And the waters continued to recede until the tenth month. On the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Let's think about this for a second. They're on a boat for 150 days, five months. I'm not great at math, but you can, you can check it later, okay? And at the end of these five months, God allowed for the waters to recede. And then on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on a, 
a mountain, but it wasn't until the 10th month that the tops of the mountains actually became visible. We talked about this last week, but what a responsibility Noah had. I mean, I think if anywhere in these few verses, we see the resiliency of Noah, right? We see the resilience of Noah and his family to be on that boat without the weight, with the weight of the world on your shoulders. I mean, even without it, friends. I mean, just think about just being in a boat for that long. I mean, I just, whew. I mean, I spent an afternoon fishing on a boat, and I'm like beat. You know, I'm like, I'm ready to go home and sit on my, I mean, can you imagine this task? The weight of the world. It's an act of resiliency in and of itself, but with the knowledge and the responsibility that he had. Just, friends, in our faith, we need to be resilient. We need to be able to stand tall. We, not, we need to be able to withstand the difficulties that we face, to not be so easily shaken. As, as rough as your life may have been or may be, as difficult as the situations that you may be going through right now, and I know some of your stories, I know some of the pain and the hardships that you have gone through, I know some of you right now are going through something unimaginable. One writer put it this way, resilient faith is a quality of faith that's able to to see us through trouble, to see us through temptation and trials, and even come through stronger. When you think about people who have resilient faith, who do you think about? Who comes to your mind? I think of people like Glenda Hamilton. I think of Stan Mead. Stan, I mean, Stan, all he wanted his dying wish, just let me preach the gospel one more time. I think of David Hunt, who stood right where I'm standing right now on the day that his wife was put into the ground. He preached the gospel right here. I think of people like Pat, our good friend, our dear friend Pat, filled with cancer, weeks before he couldn't even get out of his bed, was teaching a Sunday school class. I think of Darren Hendergaard, who has stage four cancer and continues to go to the prison and teach inmates, 50 or plus inmates, the Bible. Paul teaches the church in Corinth to put on the full armor of God. What does that look like for you? put on the full armor of God? Is that a spiritual discipline that you have in your life? I think as a generation, as a whole, the church has just completely forgotten that God has given us the grace to be strong and courageous, to be resilient in our faith, to put on the full armor of God. Somewhere, some way, we've forgotten about the grace that God offers us to be resilient, to be strong and courageous. After 40 days, Noah, verse 6, opened a window he made in the ark, and he sent out a raven 
And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over the whole surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. And he reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. And when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Now just say with me just for a second. He first, he sent out a raven and it didn't come back. Then he sent out a dove, but the dove couldn't find a place to perch. Waited seven more days and sent out the dove again. This time there was a, what? An olive leaf. A good sign, I'm sure. But Noah waited seven more days and sent the dove out again. And this time the dove never returned. When I read about Noah and these birds, I can't help but to think about Noah and how he is so much more patient than I would be in this situation. <laughs> you know, like, I just don't think I could, I mean, the discipline that he had. I mean, if my kids were on that boat every day, Dad, can we send out the, the bird again? Let's just try it one more time. I mean, every single, I mean, I, and I wouldn't even argue with him. Okay, kids, let's go. Let's do it. I mean, like, I would be right there with him. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I mean, I would, I'd be wondering. I mean, you don't hear God talking at all during this part of Noah's narrative. I mean, this is Noah being patient. I, I may be the only one who's guilty of this, but there are times where I find myself impatient with God. Kent Hughes says this about Noah's patience. Noah waited patiently for God's deliverance and mounting monotony. I mean, I would be like, God, I'm, I'm here. I need an answer. I'm waiting. What's it going to be? I mean, I got, I got a list of things I need to get done. I mean, are we, are we there yet, God? Noah, a man of God, a man of faithfulness, a man who walked with God. Not only was he resilient, but he was patient. He waited on God's timing. You know why Noah was patient? You know why Noah was patient with God? Because God, he, Noah trusted God. I mean, if you're patient with somebody, guess what? You trust them. I mean, you can just... I'm almost... His words are pretty much interchangeable, are they not? Trust me, I, I'll, I'll get you the money. Trust me, I'll, I'll be there on time. Trust me, I'll, I'll get the job done. Trust me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up today. Trust me, I'm going to... What are they asking? Just be patient with me. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Trust me. Be patient. 
I mean, Noah was patient. I had a home repair man that, that could fix about any problem you had under the roof of your home. It was wonderful. I mean, you called him up. It didn't matter if it's HVAC, plumbing, electrical. I mean, whatever it was, you just call him up and be like, hey, I got my sink upstairs isn't working. Or, you know, my, my heat's not working. It's cold out. So can you come over? And he would, he would come. But the problem was like everybody else knew this guy could fix anything. So guess what? They called him too. So, but he would come over at the weird, I mean, like sometimes he would come over at decent times. Other times it was like six o'clock in the morning. He'd come over and be fixing your heater, you know? I, but when he said something, when he said, hey, I'm going to be there, guess what? He was going to be there. And when he said, I, I can do it for this price, guess what? That's what he charged you. I, I, I think about this, and I think, you know, sometimes we are truly impatient with the Lord. <laughs> We're impatient with other people, and I think a lot of times it's because of our, a lack of trust. We just have forgotten what God has done for us. We've forgotten about God's character. We've forgotten that God doesn't always work on our timetable. But God is faithful. He's true. And when he says something, guess what? It's going to happen, friends. Be patient with God. He hasn't forgotten about you, friends. Verse 15. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, and you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they might, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. Verse 18. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his son's wives, I'm sorry, his wife and his son's wife, what? Let me just start that over again. Verse 18. So Noah came out together with his son and his wife and his son's wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the, on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The last thing that we see about Noah in today's passage of Scripture is that he was dedicated. Imagine spending all of that time on that boat with his family, with his kids, and with his daughter-in-laws. I mean, taking care of the animals, taking care of his family, taking care of himself. I mean, there's no YouTube on the ark, friends. No Netflix. No 80-inch televisions, no CNN or Fox News, no iPad or video games. I mean, no movies to watch, no, no newspapers to read, no love stories to read, ladies. I mean, they were just 
there. I mean, they didn't have mahjong or chess. I mean, they were just stuck on that boat. I mean, I don't... I can't imagine the mental weight of this task. But even when they get off the boat, Noah knew that a whole new work began. I mean, it's like the task of being on that boat, that's one job. But then once you get off, once you get out, I mean, a whole new responsibility was there. I mean, he had a whole new task, a whole new job. And one might be even harder than the next. So what does he do? He recognizes the need for God's grace. Noah knew that in order for his family to accomplish what God had asked of them, they needed God's favor. As soon as the ark was empty, look at verse 20. The very next thing that happens after the last animal gets off that boat, Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Why build an altar? An altar? This was an act of worship, friends. It was an act of thanksgiving, an act of sacrifice. It was Noah's way of saying to God, I need you. I need you, Lord. We can't do this on our own. Noah was fully committed and dedicated to the Lord. Friends, if there was ever a time where Noah could puff his chest out, if there's ever a time where Noah could say, look at what I did, look at what we accomplished, look at all that I've done, this would have been it. I mean, Noah could have easily just like, look at me, I'm awesome, I, we did it, dry ground. I mean, this is the time where he could have said, man, I'm... You need to appreciate me. I mean, this could have been it. Could have been that opportunity for him just to, kids, you see how great your dad, you, don't forget this. I mean, look how great I, back in the day, whew, I did this when I was an old, I mean, mad, I mean, just think about it. Every opportunity. And instead of, what does he do? The very first thing he does as he acknowledges his need for God. I mean, his commitment and dedication to the Lord. Noah recognizes his weakness. He recognizes his imperfection. He, rec- he recognizes his need for the Lord's help. He remained committed to answering the call that God had placed on his life. No matter the difficulty, no matter the hardships. I like watching the Olympics. You ever watch the Olympics? I mean, I think they're just, what fascinates me oftentimes when I, I like, it's not very manly, but I like the gymnastics. You know, I like watching the gymnastics. And I just think, man, it's just, it's amazing what these people can do. The, the girls, even the boys, I mean, they're just amazing. Right? I mean, but these people, they work their entire life. They train their entire lives. They dedicate themselves to this one thing, to be able to do one thing. And like, how many perfect scores do you see in the Olympics? I mean, the best of the best of the best 
are there. And they come up short of perfection. Almost every, I mean, this is, it's rare, right? You ever see a perfect, I mean, it's just like the best of the best. Of, they make mistakes. One of my pet peeves is uh, if people say, I'm a perfectionist. My response to that is often, well, you're not doing a very good job of it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a perfectionist, I mean, you're just, you ain't doing very well at it. None of us are perfect. But saying that you're a perfectionist, saying that you're trying to do everything perfectly, it's like basically saying, like, I'm trying to be like God. It's really what you're saying. I mean, none of us are perfect. And to be able to do everything perfectly, that's impossible, friends. It's really almost idolatry, you know? Like, you can't do that on your own. Jesus was perfect. Are you, are you like Jesus? I, I don't think so. I, I, uh, I, I think there are times and I, I see people say that there's one type of person that's, that's perfect. That's, that's newborn babies, you know. Oh, he's perfect. Oh, isn't she just perfect? Isn't, I mean, she is just perfect. Ask that mom when that baby's two years old how many times people say that kid's perfect. <laughs> I mean, when, they, when your son spills the Kool-Aid on the, on the rug for the third time in a week, he's no longer perfect. I can... I can promise you. I wanted to share a story here, but I'm not going to because I feel it's maybe too crude. But, uh, but you think about that. We're not perfect. I was at a lady's, I visited a lady this week. She said this about her, somebody in our church. She said, this man is a cut above. His character is a cut above. You know, I just couldn't argue with her. I, I go to a lot of funerals and uh, do a lot of funerals. You know, I don't hear people talk about their father or their mother or their child or a loved one and use the word perfect. Wouldn't it be nice, though, when people talk about you, they say that you are a person who walks with God, is faithful. It's resilient, strong, patient with God, patient with others. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they said about you that you were resilient, that in the times of hardships, difficulties, you remain strong in your faith? Wouldn't it be awesome? 
wouldn't it be wonderful if they weren't lying? Friends, the only way that we can become the people that God wants us to be is through the grace of God. It's not something that we can do on our own, but it's only through God's help. That's what God's grace is. It's God doing something for you that you can't do on your own. And friends, if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we need help. We need the grace of God. And that grace can only be found through Jesus Christ. He gives us the grace. He washes away our sin and he transforms our heart. He sanctifies our thinking. He corrects our desires and he allows us, friends, the grace that we need to be the people that God has called us to be, to do the things that God has called us to do. And if you think that's going to come from somewhere else, you're kidding yourself. It's only through Jesus, friends. Our salvation, our Christ-likeness, our perfection in the eyes of the Lord is only through Jesus. It comes through him and him alone. I pray that you know that today. I pray that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you don't, I would love to be able to talk with you about making that profession of faith today. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for your love and kindness. I thank you for the people that are here today. Father, that they come with a, a willingness to listen, a willingness to hear. I know some of these people are going through hardships and difficulties, and some of them are going through just spiritual hardships and times of drought, times of hardships, silence. Father, I pray that today that you would speak to them in such a way that you would pierce their heart in such a way that they would know that you are here, that you've not forgotten about them, that you love them, that you're available, that you're listening, that you're watching. Father, in this time of response, I pray that you would give us the grace that is needed to Respond in such a way to your word, to your nodding, your, your, your tugging, that we would just respond in a way that bring honor and glory to your name. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that today is that day. Give them the grace to, to come forward and say, I need Jesus. I'm tired. I need him. I know there are people here today that have not done that. So, Lord, if you would, speak to them today. You will receive all the honor and all the glory if they do. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen.